Good. So last week we were chatting a bit, weren't we, about um, creating an atmosphere for miracles. And if you weren't here last week or you missed that, I'd encourage you, get online, have a listen, because, uh, you know, I believe that God was speaking to us specifically um, around that. So yeah, I encourage you to, to, get, uh, to, to get online and listen to that. Um, it should encourage you. But, you know, we talked about how miracles happen when, uh, when there's a desperate circumstance. You know, there has to be a need in order for a miracle to, to happen. And then also we talked about, you know, miracles happen when expectancy rises. So we were encouraging us to, you know, to approach God expectantly, to come expecting for him to move and not just kind of hoping that he might. And then we also talked about removing negative influences and getting rid of the naysayers from our lives and, and freeing ourselves up from, from that to be able to release miracles. And then we also talked about a posture of, of prayer and then stepping out in faith and speaking out in faith. You know, we asked the question, do we know he can or do we believe that he will? And I very much believe that he, he will and that he wants to do that. And this morning I want to look at another miracle, um, but this time from the Old Testament. We're going um, to be delving into the Old Testament. And, you know, I kind of create notes around, around what I'm going to speak on. And I was very intentional about the fact that I wanted last, last week and this week to be around this theme of, of miracles, believing kind of in preparation for our encounter night, that, that we're going to pray for miracles to happen. And we're, we're going to do that. But actually, as I was preparing this message, God took me on a different route. And who knows when that happens, it's good because it means it's him and not me. So we're still going to talk about a miracle, but the focus isn't around the fact that, that miracles happened. And like last week's focus was very much around creating this space and this atmosphere for that to happen. This week's going to be a little bit different, but I believe that it's a, a real prophetic message um, this morning, not only for us as individuals, but for us as a church. So that got me super excited. I don't know about you. Are you excited this morning? Okay, good. That's good. Hopefully we're expectant and we're, uh, you know, we're ready to, to hear what God's got to say to us. But we're going to be looking at, um, at Joshua this morning. We're going to be, be reading from Joshua chapter 3. But first, let me just give you a little bit of context so we know where we're approaching this, this passage of Scripture from. So, you know, you may well know, but Moses was, had this call on his life that he was going to rescue the Israelites out of slavery. That was a call that God had put on, on his life. And then a whole bunch of events happened that we don't really know, need to go into. If you want to read about that, head to Exodus or wherever it is and, and read all about, about what happened with that. But essentially, God called Moses to rescue the Israelites from slavery, and, and he did. That happened. And so they found themselves after that in this, you know, crossing the Red Sea and they found themselves in the wilderness. And then they stumbled and wandered around the wilderness for, for 40 years, a journey that should have taken less than two weeks. They should have just had a map and a compass, I don't know. But on that journey, it was on that journey that Moses realized uh, kind of, you know, his own immortality and that he wasn't going to be around forever. So like all good leaders, he, he kind of prepared the next generation and he, you know, was confirmed to him that Joshua was going to be the person to, to take on the baton, to take on the, the mantle of his journey and to, to actually carry the people across into the land that was promised to them. And there's actually this, you know, you there must have been this huge disappointment when Moses realized that, you know, he'd rescued the Israelites with, you know, with the power of God from slavery and he'd brought them across the Red Sea with that incredible miracle of just, you know, tapping the, the staff on the ground and the sea parting and, and that must have been incredible for him to go through. But then to realize that he wasn't actually going to see 
the promised land. It must have been heartbreaking for him. And you, you can see in, uh, I think it's in Deuteronomy, there's this moment where he pleads with God, you know, please let me go into the promised land. It's what I've been living for. It's what I've been longing for. But, but God says, no, it's not for you. It's for Joshua. And so he, he kind of empowers Joshua and, and encourages him, him and strengthens him to, to, that Joshua is going to be the one to lead the Israelites into their destiny. So Joshua is the one who finally will, will see this, this fulfillment that was given to Abraham over 200 years ago. And, and what a privilege that was for him. But then where we pick up this, uh, the passage this morning is, you know, Moses has died now and, and Joshua is in, is in command. And, and that's kind of where we're going we're gonna to pick up this morning. So we're going to read from Joshua chapter 3. And I'm going to read the whole chapter. So bear with me. Um, the Bible's good, isn't it? So we can, we can cope with a little bit of Bible this morning. Uh, okay, so Joshua chapter 3, it says this. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan and he and all the people of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. And the end of three days, the, at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it shall, it shall be about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the ark and they went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, that he will without fail drive out from you before drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, and a whole bunch of other people too. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe one man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark before the people, as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zerathan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of the Araba, the, sea, the salt sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Let's just pray and then we'll jump into this. Lord God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for 
for the scripture that you've given to us that you can speak to us through it this morning. And I just pray that as we, as we, uh, as we hear what it is that you've got to say to us this morning, you will speak to our hearts, you will challenge our spirits and you will encourage us and empower us and equip us for the journey that you've got ahead of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I've entitled this message, Crossing Over. Um, and I just want to try and share some, of you, share some of the excitement that's within me about when I approach this message. Like I said, I, I kind of approached this message with, with one idea in mind, that you know, God was going to be preparing us for the miraculous. And, and actually, God took me on a, on a whole different journey. And as I was kind of delving into this passage and, and studying it and, and kind of prepping for this morning, it became really clear to me about the parallels between what the Israelites were going through at this stage in their lives and where we are as a church. And it just, I don't know, it just kind of built up within me and there was this excitement and enthusiasm about what God's going to do. So this morning I want to just share with you four points and hopefully that's going to encourage you um, as we go through this season for the church. And there's definitely a message here for us as individuals as well, don't miss out on that, but this is, I believe, a message for, for the church. There was only going to be three points, by the way. But then Ruth said something to me that she'd felt had been on her heart all week. And, and, uh, and then when she said it, I was like, oh, that's in the passage that I'm doing. So maybe there's a fourth point. So we drop that in as well. You know, so if it goes on too long, you can blame Ruth. That seems fair, doesn't it? Um, okay, so point number one is this. God mobilizes a new generation. God mobilizes a new generation. So this whole picture of the Israelites crossing the Jordan very much mirrors uh, their journey across the Red Sea, doesn't it? And you can see those those parallels. But when they crossed uh, over the Red Sea, the Israelites moved from slavery to freedom. That was kind of the journey that they were on at that time. And then they, they went stumbling around the wilderness and now they find themselves crossing the Jordan. So whereas they've gone from slavery to freedom, now they're moving from this, this aimless wandering to an established nation. That's the journey that they're going on as they cross the Jordan. They'd spent 400 years as a nation in slavery. And then they'd crossed over the Red Sea in that, that miraculous occurrence. And then they spent 40 years wandering around aimlessly in the wilderness. And, you know, on that journey, they'd, they'd hoped and they'd walked and they'd, they'd suffered and they'd prayed and, and they'd cried and they'd faltered and they'd trusted and regretted and they'd sinned and they'd wind their way all the way to this moment on the banks of the River Jordan. But check this out. Back in Numbers, when Moses was in charge, he sent a group of spies to check out on this land that they'd been promised. You know, God had promised this land to Abraham like 200 years ago, and then he'd confirmed that to his son Isaac, and then he confirmed it again to Moses. So Moses knew that they were going to be um, inheriting this promised land, that at some point they were going to move in and conquer and inhabit the promised land. But he said, Spies gather round, and I'm going to send you out to go and see how good this land really is. You know, God's promised it to us, so it's got to be good, yeah? But I just want a bit of assurance how good, how good it really is it. So he said to them, go on ahead, you take a look around and tell us if it's really going to be worth this journey that's ahead of us. And it says in Numbers 13, we came to the land which you sent us, and it flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. 
However, the people who dwell in it are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there, and the Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev. Negev, I don't know. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and other people dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quietened the people before Moses, and he said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Go, Caleb. Go, Caleb. I love that spirit. They're all like, you know, they start off well, don't they? It flows with milk and honey. Check out this fruit. It's delicious. But it's filled with a bunch of well-armed people, and they've got massive walls and all kinds of things. We've got no hope. Let's give up and go home. And Caleb's like, shut your mouth. What are you on about? It's flowing with milk and honey. Taste this fruit. Not only that, we are well able to overcome it. We're well able. I don't know if it's like, we're well able. I don't know if that's how they were like. They were talking like the cool kids even back in Old Testament times. Who knew it? But Moses sent out these 12 spies to check out this land. And they came back with their report and there were these mixed messages. But only two people gave a positive report. Only two people felt that they were able to conquer the land. Joshua and Caleb. And do you know what the consequences of that negativity was? The consequences of them not accepting and hearing the positive reports? Well, that was the 40 years that they then spent wandering around in the wilderness because they chose to believe the negativity rather than the positive reports. And in that period of time, in that that wandering in the wilderness, the ten spies who came back and were like, it looks great, but there's no hope. Well, they died. And it was actually only Caleb and Joshua who got to enter into the promised land. These two people that came back and had faith to believe that the promise of God was going to come to pass. And the great thing is that actually, as we've already seen, it's Joshua that leads them across into the promised land. And then later on, it's Caleb who inherits part of that land. So they were rewarded for their their confidence and their faith in God. So now Joshua's in charge and he also sends out some spies ahead of him to check out the land. In the same way that Moses had done it, he was like, well, just go ahead and check it out and and come back and tell us what's going on and, and look at the difference in their attitude. In Joshua 2, it says, Then two men returned. He sent out two guys. Then the two men returned, and they came down from the hills, and they passed over and came to Joshua, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. All of the inhabitants of the land melt away. That means they're panicking, they're fretting, they're scared because of us. Such positivity, such assurance, such such faith. There was no doubt in their minds, truly the Lord has given this land into our hands. This new generation was mobilized and they were ready to cross over the Jordan into the promised land. And I believe that God is mobilizing us as a generation of Hope Church Lytham, mobilizing us ready to cross over the Jordan into the promises that he has placed on our hearts. I truly believe that. You know, we've, we've wondered for a season, but now it's time, now it's time to cross over and establish ourselves. So God mobilized 
a generation. And the second point is this, God went first. You see, at this time, God was with them, but he was with them in a box. They'd put God in a box. And I don't know about you, I'm glad we don't live in Old Testament times, but we're in the new, and God's bust out that box and he's everywhere. And it's amazing. There's no more heavy lifting required. God's everywhere. But back then, God lived in the Ark of the Covenant. That was where his presence was. And it was no small thing, you know, don't touch that box for fear of dropping dead. Because the power of God is incredible and you can't get too close to the power of God when he's in a box. But now he's not in a box, we can get super close to him because he lives within us, doesn't he? So don't touch me, you might drop dead, I don't know. (laughs) So God lived in this box, but God was with them. They had this assurance that, that within this Ark of the Covenant was the very presence of God. So they had the assurance and the faith and the hope to believe that with God with them, they could achieve anything. His presence was there. So when the time came to cross the Jordan and then this report came back and they were, they were both positive, there was no doubt at all. The people mobilised and then Joshua instructs the Levite priests to carry the Ark of the Covenant into the Jordan River. So God went first. The Levite priests has to, had to carry him, but God went first. Now I really feel for these priests, because not only have they got the fear of God with them, quite literally, you know, if they touch this box, they're going to die. But not only that, they're being sent first, with God, into the Jordan. Joshua's like, you guys, grab God, you go first, you lead the way, and we're going to stand, what did it say, like 200 feet or something behind. We'll stay a safe distance, you, you crack on, you go ahead of us. But, but God was with them, and God went first. But they were faced, these priests, with the, the kind of daunting task of, of carrying the presence of God, daunting enough. But not only that, to step into the Jordan River, to go first of all the people. But God was with them. God was with them and they knew that and they believed that without a shadow of a doubt that God was with them in this, in this Ark of the Covenant. But if we know anything about God, it's that he doesn't like to make things easy. He's not just going just gonna to let us stand back and do everything for us, particularly when it comes to miracles. So it's, it's, no, uh, it's no coincidence, I don't think, that, that in this instance he encouraged them to step into the waters before the miracle happened. He wasn't like, okay, we're going to cross this river, I'll sort it out first, and then you can go ahead safely on the dry ground. He was like, no, no, tell them to go, to carry the Ark of the Covenant into the river, and when they're in, then we'll sort it out. Only once they're in will we sort it out. And so as unpleasant as it seems, these Levite priests carrying the Ark of the covenant actually went into the water before the miracle happened and it says this in in verse 15 doesn't it as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water and then this bit in brackets now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the time of harvest which it was the waters coming down from above stood up and rose in a heap far away and then it goes on to say that the waters further down they stopped too but I mean, come on. These priests, not only are they carrying the the crazy dangerous presence of God, they're also having to step into the Jordan first before anyone else. Thanks, Joshua, for giving us this task. 
But it says here that the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest time. So it's not just a, you know, a casual flowing river. It's like raging. It's like a create. We've got a, a video clip. Let's just, I found this on YouTube. This is the Jordan. And that's just normal. That wasn't harvest time. The banks were pretty solid there. That's just normal. But they've come to it and it's harvest time. So the banks are all swelling. And the, oh my gosh, you want us to step in first? And in they go. So in they go. And it's only when they step into the waters. It's only once God presence, God's presence is in the water that the miracle happened. That he stopped this flow of water. So if, there's, if there was any doubt in the people that they were going to get across this river, and, and bear in mind that most of them had only heard about the Red Sea. Almost none of them had experienced that miracle. So they'd heard tell of, of this time when they crossed a river and, and God made this tower of water, and I'm sure it was super scary, but they all got through okay. But now God's saying, do it again. And well, I've heard these, these kind of folk tales about something that happened 40 years ago when he did that, but now you're asking me to do it again. But then they saw God go first, didn't they? These Levite priests picked up the Ark of the Covenant and they carried God in first. And when God was in the water, when God's presence was in the river, the miracle happened. God went first to show them that it was safe. God went first to show them that they could be confident in the promise that he had put on their lives. God went first. It says in Isaiah, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And, though, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. This courage and this encouragement of, of stepping out in faith, of believing that God is with us, is right there in this passage. And I think so often we can be faced with, with daunting and, and challenging situations and, and circumstances and, and something that looks scary and impossible to us uh, from the outside and, and ordinarily in any kind of normal circumstance we'd run away we'd just flee from this situation God's saying I am with you God's going to go with us every step of the way but he wants us to take that step first God's with us but he wants us to take that step God goes first and where he goes we should follow where we see God moving we should follow and so the, the Israelites saw God go first into the river and then this miracle happened. They'd seen him go first and then they knew they should follow. So over they went and they crossed on dry ground. So God empowered this, this generation and then when it came to, to crossing this impossible situation, God went first. And then the third point is this, and, and it, this is the one that Ruth kind of mentioned to me and it says stand still you know Ruth said that this this passage from Exodus was stuck in her head all week uh, Exodus 14 14 it says the Lord will fight for you 
you need only be still. The Lord will fight for you, you need only be still. And there's two instances within this chapter of Joshua where they stood still, where they paused, where they took a moment, where they stopped. And the first is right next to the Jordan. So they'd, they'd moved camp and they'd, and they'd travelled to Jordan where they knew they were going to cross the river and they, they stopped next to the river. They stopped there and they camped there for three days. For three days they stood still. So here's the scene. The Jordan, as we've heard, has swelled its bank. This, this river is raging, it's bursting. It's a, it's a crazy torrent of impassable water ranging from a depth of like three feet to, to 12 feet. And the water's traveling about 40 miles per hour. This was impossible. And I'm told from, from kind of reading around that, that underneath that water is this crazy undergrowth, these, these sharp and spiny shrubs that, that will damage you and trip you over and all kinds of things. And that was hidden by the raging torrents of the Jordan River. And that was the sight that greeted these hundreds of thousands of people that pitched their tents next to the river, hearing this whisper that in a couple of days' time, we're going to be crossing over. I mean, you can almost hear the, the campfire conversations, can't you? Can you hear, can you hear that river? Have you seen it? It's filthy, it's dirty, it's fast, it's big, it's wide. Maybe, maybe the strong amongst us will make it. But what about, I don't know, the children? What about the elderly? What about the injured? There's, there's no way. And I think it's easy for us to relate to the emotions that must have been traveling throughout the Israelite camp as we face our own personal Jordans. As we stand on the bank of this impossible situation in front of us, as we look at it, knowing the promise that God has put in our hearts that we're going to get through it, but looking at this situation going, how? How are we supposed to do this? I know God's told us we're going to, but really? How? How is that going to be the case? How is that going to happen? You know, maybe... We're looking at this situation and circumstance in our lives. Maybe we're looking at this personal Jordan of ours and we've been, you know, we've been standing still for, for so long, waiting for that go from God. And we begin to question ourselves, did, did I miss it? Did I miss him telling me to take that step of faith? Is he even, is he even with me at all? I'm facing this situation i'm facing this this circumstance i'm facing this raging torrent of impossibility god's promised me that i'm going to get across it but but did i miss his instruction to go did i miss his instruction to to move you know i think our lives sometimes feel like we're stuck on the the wrong side of god's promise that we know that there's a land flowing with milk and honey where the fruit is delicious we know that that's waiting for us, that God's promised that to us, that he's put that in our hearts and in our spirits as a, as a promise for our lives, but we want it so bad. We want it so bad, but we can't even make it out of the wilderness. We're stuck wandering around and around aimlessly instead of breaking through the wilderness and, and getting to the other side. You know, and as a church, you know, maybe we feel like that too. 
You know, we've been promised as a church that we're going to see growth to the point that we are overflowing. There's not enough room. What's that? I've got it. Oh, it's not on my Bible. It's on my notepad. We're bursting to overflowing. That's the passage that was spoken over us for this year. And I'm believing that that's true, that God's going to restore to us the lost, that God's going to restore to us a position that is, is filled with influence in this community, that is filled with a place where we can have a real impact on our surrounding areas, that as a, a local church, we can begin to take God out of these walls into the community and see revival. That's what I'm believing for, but sometimes it feels like this raging torrent of water. And we're on the wrong side of that promise, going, how the heck are we going to get there? You know, you look around the room and you think, numbers are low, finances are low. How are we going to get across this river? But God has promised it to us. All we need to do is stand still. Our God will fight for us if we just stand still. And our passage this morning goes on to tell us something that's echoed throughout Scripture, that what is impossible for men is possible with God. What's impossible for men is possible with God. And God was about to reveal the steps that needed to be taken in every life, in every circumstance in every situation in every church in order to to move from the wrong side of God's promise into the land that is flowing with milk and honey into the fullness of his promise the experiences and the and the decisions that are reported throughout this chapter of scripture were a major breakthrough for Israel a whole new generation of people learned that they need to trust and depend totally on God in order to receive their victory. That actually all these 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, relying completely on God, had brought them to a place of complete dependence. Of complete dependence. And during that, pe that period, he'd whittled away all of the negativity, all of the naysayers, all of the people that doubted that God's promise was going to come to pass. And now they were at a place where they were ready to cross over. And as we stand on the brink of our God-sized future, and we consider the obstacles that are in our way, the very real obstacles that we're facing, this this impossible task that lies before us in order, to, in order to get through to the promise that we've been facing. It can feel crushing. It can feel impossible. It can feel overwhelming. But these things are no match for God. And I speak that into your personal circumstances and situations. When you know that God's promised something to you and you're on the wrong side of that promise, know that you know that you know that God is able to make a way where there is no way. And as we pause and as we stand still, we may begin to realise like the Israelites, the magnitude of the impossibility that lies in front of them. The magnitude of, of this thing that's in the way of receiving the promise 
of God. But we just need to remember, the Lord will fight for you. You just need to stand still. In our weakness, he is made strong. When we can't see a path through, when we can't see how we're going to cross over, when we can't see how we're going to get to the other side, we just need to remember to stand still, to pause, to wait, to learn to trust 100% on God. Because we can't do this in our own strength. Sometimes we try, don't we, and we, we dive into that river and we try to swim across, but it just bashes us away and we get crushed and we get broken and we get battered and bruised when we try to achieve this thing in our own strength. So don't even bother trying. Save yourself the pain and the agony of trying to do it on your own and just stand still and learn to trust and rely on God. Let God make that way. So the first instance of them standing still is on the side of the Jordan, on the, on the cusp of, of you know, the next day when they were going to receive the promise of God and they, they stood still. But the second is this, in verse 17. Now the priests bearing the ark, and we've covered this already, of the covenant of the Lord, they stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all of Israel were passing over on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing over the Jordan. Those priests, those bold guys who took that first step of faith into the raging river, when they got into the waters and God had done his thing that was no doubt incredibly impressive and awe-inspiring, but still petrifying, know that there was a, this wall of water up the road and there's some more water just the other way. If God wanted it, he could have just broken that magic force field, whatever it is that he was using to hold the water up. He could have broken that and it could have come crushing down. So I don't know if it was you or me in that situation and you, you've seen the waters part. But you can see this, this tower of water on the one side of you. And you can see the water on the other side of you. I don't know, I'd leg it as fast as I could. There's a way. I don't know how long it's going to be there, so just go for it. But these priests, they went first and they stepped out into the water and God did his thing and it was incredible. But then they stood still. They stood still and they waited for the whole nation to cross. And I think the importance of this picture of, of those guys standing still in this situation that was still quite terrifying. They stood still because they had faith that God had promised them that this nation was going to cross over. That actually the waters weren't going to break and come and wash them up if they stood there for too long. But that actually for as long as they stood there holding the presence of God, that God would be faithful, that he would be true to his promise, that he would keep them safe. You see, God went first, but he also stayed there until everyone had crossed safely. And those priests were faithful. They trusted in the power of God. They trusted in the leadership of Joshua, and they stepped out into the waters first, and then they stood still. 
And as they stood still, they were just waiting on the, on the power of God. They were waiting for God to move. They were waiting for God to create this way where no man could create a way. They stood and they waited. And then they maintained their dependence and their trust and their faith in God as they waited and waited for all the people to cross over this riverbed. And standing still, standing still in the midst of that situation, they testified to the fact that everything they had was coming from God. They acknowledged in their standing still that none of them was part of this, that it was all about the presence of God being in that situation. That if some other guys had been the ones to stand still and God had moved on, that this miracle wouldn't have happened. But because they were there and they carried the presence of God with them, he kept them safe. So we're called to to step into our situation, to, to move in faith. But then when we're there, to to just take a moment to stand still, to reflect on the fact that we carry the very presence of God within us. And because we carry the presence of God, we can be assured, we can have the faith, we can have the boldness to believe that his promise will come to pass. And then the fourth point is this, that the arrival is just the beginning. And this is what gets me so pumped up and excited because, you know, I know the promise that God's put on our lives. I know the promise that God's put on this church. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt that that's going to come to pass. But the arrival is just the beginning because they'd arrived, they'd, they'd crossed the Jordan. At the end of this chapter, they'd, they'd all made it across to the other side. They'd left their, their wildering wilderness wandering behind them, hadn't they? And they'd arrived into the promised land. <coughs> they'd arrived into, the, into the, the place that God had promised their, their nation 200 or so years ago. They'd arrived, and you can, you can almost imagine it, can't you? They'd, the people had crossed this, this dry land. They'd crossed in between these, these pillars of water, and I don't know, maybe they kind of ran those last few steps and got down on the ground and just kissed it and were like, finally, we're, you know, we're safe because even through the dry ground, there was probably this, this apprehension around what's going on. But they got to the other side and, and finally they'd walked into the promise of God and they, they were safe. They were in it. They'd received the promise of God. That moment must have been ecstatic for them to just, to just realize that after, after living hand to mouth for for 40 years in the wilderness, just relying completely on God, providing for their every meal, for their every need. And finally they enter the promised land that is filled with milk and honey and has this delicious fruit to live on. They'd arrived. And so that's where they built their community and they lived the happily ever after. They spent the rest of their days just camped by the edge of the Jordan in the promised land just then they lived the rest of their days. Not quite. Not quite. Because if we read on, we see that, that God hadn't just promised that they would cross over the Jordan. That wasn't the promise that was put on their nation. It wasn't, I promise that you will cross the Jordan. 
It was, I promise that you will inhabit this land. And they were there, they'd arrived, but they didn't own it. They were there, they'd arrived, but it wasn't theirs. In fact, it was only the beginning for this newly mobilized generation and, and this now established nation. Actually, now the hard work was about to start. They'd made it into the promised land. They'd arrived into the place that God had prepared for them. But now they needed to take control. Now they needed to, to up their game even further to believe that God was going to help them to defeat and to conquer the people that those naysayers had reported about all those years ago. Because they were still there. They were still a problem. They were still another circumstance to face. You know, if the Israelites had stopped there, if they'd just crossed the Jordan and then gone, we're here, we've arrived, let's set up camp, let's make a home for ourselves, let's call it quits, the enemies in the land would have got wind that they were there and they were settled and they would have come and defeated them. And that would have been that. They would have missed out on the promise of God. But instead, they needed to press on. They needed to take hold of this momentum that they'd been filled with to actually cross the Jordan and take that and push on and press on and lean in and trust in God even more to actually understand and experience the fullness of that promise. Do you know when we're facing that circumstance, that, that Jordan River, whatever it is for us, when we finally get across that river, when we finally get through that circumstance and we step into the edges of the promise that God has got for our lives, definitely rejoice in that. Definitely take time to acknowledge what God has done, to praise him, to worship him, to honor him in all of that. But then don't get complacent because you're just on the edge of your promise. You're still on the riverbanks of your promise and there's, there's work to be done. Once you've arrived on the edge of, of one promise, God will get you ready for the next battle. God will get you ready for what's next. Are you ready this morning? Are you ready to cross this Jordan that's in front of you right now? And maybe you've come through that. Maybe this morning you've, you've just come through a situation and you're on the edge of your promise and you're, you're in that moment of reflection and rejoicing and, and happiness, but get ready for what's next. Get ready for what's next because the arrival is just the beginning. Joe, why don't you come up and we'll, I'm just going to close in a minute and then we'll, we'll sing. But, you know, I believe that, that our period as a church of wandering aimlessly is coming to an end. That actually right now we're, we're on the one side of the Jordan and we can see the promised land that we can see the promised land and we're about to become an established nation. God is mobilizing us, ready to move. And out of that promise and out of that faithfulness and that trusting in him, we're going to cross over this Jordan River and no longer will we be living hand to mouth. No longer will we be struggling or, or battling or wandering around in the wilderness, but we'll be in the promised land. We'll have the fruit of everything that God has promised us. And when we get there, when we arrive to the other side, when we've crossed over, 
We'll rejoice in that and then I'll remind you that the hard work's about to start. Okay? Because I'm believing that God's got incredible things for this church. And I've said it before that it's not about about me or, or the leadership, about us kind of becoming known in the area. That's not at all what this is about. But I believe God's promise that this church will grow. And it will grow so that we can have influence in the community. So that we can impact those around us with the love of God. So that we can take it from within these four walls out into the streets. That we can make the name of Jesus famous in Lytham St. Anne's. That we can see the lost saved. That we can see those who are, are living in hopeless situations brought into a place of life and abundance. So I pray this morning that that's a, that's a, a promise that's on your heart. And I pray that you'll, you'll come with us as we step out in faith into this journey. And that you'll rejoice with us when we get to the other side, but you'll be then getting ready and you'll be getting mobilized to know that there's more work coming, but there's more work coming because the promise is even greater than just living on the edge of a promise. Why don't we pray? Lord God, we just thank you for the promise that you've placed on this church. And Lord God, I thank you for the promises that you've placed on each and every one of our lives. And, and for those who this morning are facing their own personal Jordan, I pray that you will, you will build trust and reliance and faithfulness within them. That this message will have been a message of hope this morning. That, that will be a message of encouragement and, and equipping and empowering to, to step out in faith and believe for the fullness of your promise when we walk in faith, when we step out in faith, when we move in the promises that you have placed in our lives. God says to you this morning, I will fight for you. In whatever circumstance you're facing, I will fight for you. Just stand still. And that, that picture of standing still is it harks back to the posture of prayer because when we stand still and when we just fix our eyes on God, incredible things will happen. I will fight for you. I will make a way where there is no way. This situation that looks impossible, that looks petrifying, that looks like you just want to turn and run in the opposite direction as fast as you can, I'm going to make a way. Just stand still. Just be silent. Just Look to heaven. And when I say go, when I say go, step out in faith. No matter how scary it looks, when I say go, step out in faith and believe the promise that's been put on your life. Our God is faithful. Our God is true. Our God is just. And he doesn't put promises on our lives just to make us feel good. He puts them on our life to, to equip us and empower us and enable us to be able to take his name further, to be able to enable us to, to do that great commission that was put on our lives back in the days of the disciples, to go out into all the nations and to share the good news of God. Because that's our one mission, that's our our one purpose above all else is to share the love of God 
through the way we live our lives, through the way we speak, through the way we act. So I pray this morning that you will stand firm in the promises that God has put on your life. That you'll take a moment to stand still and to to fix your eyes on him. And that when he says go, you step out in faith, believing that promise that's been spoken over your life. In Jesus' name.